On this week's episode of Bills Pod Squad, we'll get into the Bills' first game away from Orchard Park. We'll ask him your most pressing questions in our Ask the Owner segment, and we'll find out why Hall of Fame coach Bill Cowherd thinks Sean McDermott is one of the best coaches in the NFL. We're kicking off this week's Bills Pod Squad right now. Welcome into Bill's Pod Squad, a podcast that takes you beyond the X's and O's loaded with laughs and stories. Maddie Glab and Bill's owner and president, Kim Pagula, as your host, coming back for episode three. A lot to unpack, a lot to discuss. We have a great episode to get into. We'll have an interview with pro football, Hall of Famer, Super Bowl 40 champion, and CBS Sports NFL analyst, Bill Cowher. But first, Kim, we got a touch on this win that the Bills had against the Dolphins, 31-28. to It was in Florida, so it was their first road game. You were on the road with them. So what was it like going on the road in this COVID environment? Well, actually, it was kind of like a home game for me because I came down a little bit early because of my home is here in Florida. Uh, so I didn't get to travel with the team, uh, but certainly, you know, was there for the game. And... Uh, we, we always do really well in Miami, so I, I was confident going in regardless, but um, but it's just, oh my gosh, what 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 a game. Um, just how exciting that was. It had, you know, every drama you could imagine. There's like rain, lightning, the power <laughs> can you goes ever, up. Can you imagine a game like that? Have you ever been a part of a game where that, that much has happened? No, well, I did not realize that um, it was happening. So, you know, I, I'm watching it, I, I watch it on, on my iPad as well as why I'm in the game. And I just kind of, you know, they kept going back to the Steelers game. I'm like, what's going on here, right? And realizing then, and then I'm getting all these texts about like how they're not showing the game because, um, you know, my friends are like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm ordering, you know, NFL Game Pass so I could get the game. I'm like, no, no, it's, it's, a, it's a feed issue. Like nobody has the game. Uh, so no, I've not been a part of that. Um, thankfully we didn't, well, then we had to stop, right? Because of lightning. So. So even though fans couldn't see the whole game, uh, the game did go on. Uh, but and then but then we had to stop the game. So it was like I said, a lot of things happening, a lot of great, um, obviously uh, offensive plays, a lot of things we saw from Josh Allen. Um, you know, we had uh, first touchdowns uh, for the season uh, for several of our guys. So all in all, like you just couldn't ask for a better game with all the drama that an NFL game should have. And when? Yeah, there's a, there's a stoppage of play with the lightning delay. There's a blackout. But you know what? Josh Allen didn't care because he had a 417-yard passing day, four touchdowns, another career game for him. We were talking about a career game for him in week one, but he shows up again in week two and does something even better. He's named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. So, Kim, as an owner watching Josh you know, blossom into this type of football player that everyone had hoped he would become uh, coming to in the NFL, coming into the NFL. What is it like to to just watch him in this third season with the start that he's had in the first two games? You know, it, it's funny. So back in the day uh, when uh, Josh came out in the draft, you know, I was fortunate enough to be to go to several of these quarterback interviews and um, and tryouts when. Uh, before the before the draft happened and I remember and this is one of the things I remember about Josh which we are now seeing really come to life um, is so 
we got to Laramie, Wyoming, right? So it's not an easy place <laughs> to get to far off. And Josh was in California and he had to fly, I believe, to Colorado. Um, and then he had a friend have to drive from Colorado to Laramie to meet us. And there was flight issues. And so we're all, you know, we got to dinner and you're meeting him for the first time. Now he's, you know, sitting there. He knows it's the ownership. It's GM, it's coach. It's, you know, so, you know, obviously a, a big, big um, moment for him. And I remember his plane was late. So he was late. So we had already finished dinner. The, actually, the place was going to about to close. Um, they kept it open for us. And Josh, I think, came in. I think maybe it was like 11 o'clock at night. He finally got there. You would have thought that we had started on time, that it was like, you know, nothing had happened. And for him to kind of, that just really impressed me, the way he just kind of, he came in um, professional, personable, um, didn't let all that stress of what, how he got there and how late it was and who he was meeting um, affect him at all. I mean, you just sat down with him had um, been able to, you know, have the conversation, ask your questions, get to know him as a person. And so I think that's what you're seeing now, right? This kind of, um, you know, every game has this ups and downs, but for a quarterback to be able to kind of have that steady calm with him throughout the whole, you know, all, um, all four quarters, regardless of what's happening, delays, lightning, rain, you know, um, outage, being behind, being ahead. Uh, so I, I'm not, surprise how, like, how about that I'm not surprised at what we're seeing from Josh I know that sometimes we get impatient um and it's you know we're saying like it, it's not going to happen in day one but I'm not surprised at this point what I saw way back when before we drafted him you're still seeing that now um in his third year that's a really great story. I think it speaks to the confidence that he had in the room with you guys last that night and then the confidence that he had in that game against the Dolphins and, and the confidence that we see from Josh almost every single day we see him pick up a football. That game had fans in the stands, Kim. It was the first game that yeah. the Bills had fans in the stands because right now uh, Buffalo can't have fans in the stands for hopefully the time being. But what was it like to, to have fans in the stands, of course, it wasn't packed by any means, but there were pockets of people all over the field. So was that any, was it still different because there were so little fans or, or was it, you could truly hear them and, and it um, different. You know, well, the great thing is that there were a lot of Bills fans there. So that was great to see, you know, we were driving to the game and we had to stop and get gas and we, we were at the pump and like, you see, you know, these fans putting gas in the car and they got their, um, you know, all the beer, their Bills gear on, and we're like, you know, definitely they're going to the game. So it was fun to see Bills fans, even though with the limited capacity, still showing up for the Miami game. And then once you're in there, I think Miami did a great job of really kind of, um, of keeping those, you know, we call them pods and in integrity, spacing everybody out. I know they had a systematic approach of, of people going in and people coming out. So that was good to see that it, it can work. And I think that was really a good positive. I will say, though, my biggest surprise was that even though, and I'm not sure exactly what the attendance was, 9,000, 10,000, the fans in the uh, stadium, the noise that they can generate is louder than I would have expected for that limited crowd. And, you know, obviously playing at home with no fans at all. And then going into um, Miami where there were just – some fans, 
the crowd, it, it is, it's there. Like the no, the crowd noise from the, from the fans, um, it's real. And I enjoyed getting that back, that energy from the fans, even if it was on a limited basis, I was very surprised how much of a difference that, uh, even just a small amount of fans could make. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause I was wondering if, if it, was it going to be a difference at all or if you'd be able to hear them at all? It's also great to hear that there are Bills fans uh, in the stadium. Of, of course there were because like we talked yeah. about, you said there's so many uh, Bills fans in Miami and all across Florida. So, of course, uh, great to see our fans showing out, showing support. Hopefully uh, when they can be on the road and in stadiums, we, we see a lot of blue and red in the stands. Uh, I got to bring up. The, the red shirt I'm wearing, uh, if you can see it, Kim, sorry to our well, listeners I, I who are listening in tell, podcast yes, I can format. definitely tell that's got to be motor. So, yeah, I've got this motor shirt on. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's red. It has a signature on it. It's a picture of Devin Singletary, and he's got some wheels right underneath him, and everyone can get one of these shirts. It's it's a part of the Bill's Fan Box initiative. So if you go to billsfanbox.com, you can go buy your Singletary shirt right now. Uh, and $45 is what you'll pay for an individual box uh, or receive a 5% discount if you purchase a subscription, which is seven boxes total. And the proceeds from Devin's box benefit the Connect Life Foundation. So it's this thing where several of our players uh, every week, there will be a new player who designs his own shirt. So we saw uh, Jerry Hughes had one. It said Black Lives Matter. And now we're seeing Devin Singletary. Singletary's shirt, which has him basically on wheels because he's, you know, motor Singletary and he's got his signature on it. So, so quite a cool shirt to rock a little bit different than just, you know, a Buffalo Bills shirt. So step up your fashion game uh, to wear it on Sundays. So I'm definitely getting one now. I I know um, maybe not everyone knows this. I did not know what Devin's real name was um, for the longest time because, (laughs) you know, he went to school um, he, well, we're, we're quote neighbors, you know, we we live very uh, close to each other and he went to the same high school as my kids did. And so even when he was younger in high school, believe me, back then I had no idea. I mean, I was not a scout by any means and I had no idea that this kid would be in the NFL, but I remember going to the high school football games and you see this, all of a sudden you just see this guy like all alone, right? Just going into the end zone and we'd be like, what? Hey, who's that guy? You know? And oh, this motor. <laughs> So I didn't even know that Motor had a name besides Motor. I didn't know that uh, his name for the longest time was Devin. Um, always known him as Motor, and he's doing the same things that he did in high school in the NFL. It's so fun to see someone that you saw many, you know, many years ago finding that success. Um, it's it's awesome to see. So um, yeah, and I didn't realize how kind of really cool these players like how creative and cool right. they can be. It kind of shows off a little bit of their artistic um, skills. So yeah, I'm definitely getting one. That's one of my favorite things is watching our players off the field uh, with what they do in their hobbies and kind of what they wear to see their style, to, to see them as people without helmets and, and jerseys on. So definitely get your t-shirt today, billsfanbox.com. All right, we have an interview to get into, but first, the Bills Pod Squad is brought to you by the New York Lottery. Play the new skee-ball scratch-off game, and you could catch up to $60,000. You must be 18 years or older to purchase a lottery ticket. So we had Bill Cowher on the show 
Great guy, great interview. Kim, you and him have a great friendship. So here's Bill. Bill, thanks so much for being with us today. You know, you look at the AFC through two weeks of play in this 2020 season that has been uh, just amazing to watch it actually come together uh, with COVID and to see these guys on the field and that it's working. It gives us a lot of hope and confidence for the entire season to happen, of course. But there's six undefeated teams right now left in the AFC, and it's the Bills, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Titans, the Chiefs, and the Raiders. Looking at all those teams and the AFC as a whole, really, who would you say fits in the top three conversation in the AFC through two weeks of play now? And are the Bills a, a part of that conversation? Well, the Bills will always be a part of that conversation. I think what you saw a year ago um, was a maturation of Josh Allen. And I think what uh, Sean McDermott has done, and I, I personally think Sean McDermott is one of the best coaches in the National Football League. Um, I love his style. I love what he stands for. I think he's a perfect fit, Kim, for you guys in Buffalo. Um, he's a no-nonsense. You see, that's how they play. I mean, this is a team that's very – never they won't beat themselves. Um, and I think what you would not this offseason, you get a Stephon Diggs, you get a Zach Moss to come behind Devin Singletary. And then, you know, he went down against A.J. Klein and Mario Addison, two guys that he's coached before, come in to help supplement already a good defense. So, um, you know, they're, they're going to be in the conversation. Um, I, I – Kim, I would just tell you and Terry to make sure you talk to Josh Allen and tell him the next time he doesn't need to take these hits anymore. We need to have him in the in the pocket. He don't need to be running people over. I know he can run, but he wants to avoid those hits. I know Sean probably talked to him on Monday after that hit he took against the Dolphins. It was great. The players love it. Don't do it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. And we've had many conversations about that, not just this uh, last week's game, but um, even last year, there was a couple of those as well that uh, we were like, we want you to be our franchise quarterback for a long time. You need to make it there, right? Make it to next uh, week's game. But, you know, Bill, obviously you've worked with um, a tremendous quarterback, right, um, in your coaching career. You know, what What are some qualities that you see in a quarterback? Maybe not as not the obvious ones that, that the fans see, obviously the stats and things like that, but what are some qualities that you think are – um, are really needed from a quarterback that really uh, lets you lets him become that franchise quarterback for a team. Well, you know what, Kim, I, I think that's a really good question because what, what separates them, right? And you know, for years, you know, I went down the line with Neil O'Donnell, Cordell Stewart, Tommy Maddox, and then you had Ben Roethlisberger. And the one thing that the great quarterbacks do, the franchise quarterbacks do, is they can make plays that aren't scripted. You know, they 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 can do things in, 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 in improvisation that, you know, as a coach, you sit there and try to dial up in 10, 11 play drives and you're, you're trying to hit the right perfect play against a perfect defense. But great quarterbacks, what they're going to do is they're going to they're gonna make plays. And I see that in Josh Allen. And I see him now adding a little bit of touch to his throws. But his ability to extend plays, his ability to see the field and to give you those big plays, that's what separates him. It's hard in this league to constantly have 10, 11, 12 play drives. Um, so, you know, that part of it, I think, is, is, is what makes great quarterbacks special. You see it in Patrick Mahomes. You see it with Lamar Jackson. We see it with Ben Roethlisberger. You see it with Josh Allen. So these are guys that, to me, you know, you have to defend the whole field. You have to defend the whole play because it, by design, it could get extended any, any amount of time. And you can't relax against these kind of type of quarterbacks. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be honest. It's just the three of us here. Yep. But so when we drafted Josh and in that quarterback 
draft class. Um, you know, what was your impression back then? Not, you know, not, not knowing what the three years will bring, but just kind of like, did you believe in him? You know, there was a lot of people that didn't have him um, high on the draft board as a QB. So were you one of those or? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think it almost in a weird way, it almost sounds like a Ben Roethlisberger story because I mean, really the question you had was quality of, of opponent. You know, he came from a small school, um, but had all the superlatives. He had the arm. He has the mobility. Can he transition to the NFL? You know, there's a, you know, it wasn't like when I was sitting there looking at it and I studied Peyton Manning or um, um, Eli Manning and then uh, uh, Philip Rivers. Then Ben was kind of third in that list. Why? Because Philip Rivers was at NC State. Eli Manning had the pedigree at, you know, Mississippi. So you had a little bit of that kind of unknown about the fact is, is it going to be too big for him, right? And so there was no question. You know, he had the arm strength. Can he now develop a little bit of a touch? He has, he has the athleticism. Can he now be able to process things quickly? And so I think, again, you know, the one thing that you never doubted, he was a great kid. He's going to work at it. So, you know, those were the things that I think superseded, like, all the other stats and anything else that was out there. Um, you know, I don't think anyone really knows. I think when you get a quarterback, you kind of roll the dice. I think it's a guy going – he has to fit the team. You know, if he doesn't go in and fit the team, confidence can get destroyed. And I've seen it around the National Football League. Great quarterbacks come out, but they don't go to the right place and they're thrown in there maybe too early and has to do too much. It kind of stunts their growth. I, I do like where Josh is at and where he is right now in this short period of time. I, I, I think he's on a great trajectory. How quickly did you see that in Ben? Because you guys drafted him in 2004 and then you win Super Bowl 40. So was it like right at the flip of a hat that you, you guys were able to see, okay, you know, he, he brought us to a Super Bowl pretty quickly. Yeah, this guy has got it. And what goes on behind the scenes? Because, of course, in the media, any coach is going to stand next to their quarterback, especially a young one, and say that we believe in them and we believe what they can do and they're taking strides in the right direction. But how quickly were you able to see that in someone like Ben, who came, like you said, from a smaller college and it was kind of like rolling the dice? Yeah, and I think when we took Ben, my plan was not to put him in right away. I wanted, I thought it'd be a perfect situation. Number one, we came off a tough year in 2003, a lot of injuries. We end up, I think, 6-10, and 10, one of the worst records we've had. But in luxury, with that worst record, we got to pick pretty high, but it was a pretty good team that we had. So he walked into a team, and number one, I said, okay, Tommy Max, a year behind him, and, and I think he'll be ready to, to acclimate because he's a quarterback of the future. I didn't think it'd help us at all. Well, he comes in, and then all of a sudden, Tommy Maddox goes down in week two. We lost Charlie Batch in the preseason. We go, oh, my gosh. He came in that, that game, and he had a limited amount of plays. But all of a sudden, he gets in this game, and all of a sudden, he just starts going no huddle because that's the only thing he really knew. And he starts making these throws. Tommy Maddox is out for a while. I said, okay, we got a couple of weeks to use him before we get uh, uh, Charlie Batch back. And then Maddox will probably be ready after that. But then as he started to play and we started to build our team around him and kind of make sure we put him in a good situation, um, it just was never too big for him. And, you know, and I saw him make the plays that you're seeing Josh make. I'm seeing he's getting out of the pocket. He's running around and, and playing street ball more or less. And I used to pull him in on Mondays. I go, Ben, you can't do that. you got to go through your progression. you got to make sure you hit the check downs. I said, you can't be running around just thinking it's, it's street ball. And, then I, and he'd walk out and he'd be all mad. And I told my offensive coordinator, Ken Wisdom, I go, Wiz, 
tell him I'm not really that mad. But I just, I just want to make sure he's hearing what I'm saying. But tell him to keep doing what he's doing because it, it, we're, we're winning games. <laughs> so, you know, you want to harness it a little bit, but you really don't want to take and make this guy a robotic guy. You, you want to let him do like like you want you want Josh to feel like he can run, you know, but don't take the hits. I mean, that, that, you're not harnessing. Just don't take the hits. You don't need to take the hits. We want you for the next down. And if we have to punt, it's OK. We got pretty good defense. It's OK. A punt is not a bad thing. And sometimes the young quarterbacks, you just think, man, we should score every time we get the ball. I remember telling Ben, a punt is not always a bad thing. We have a good defense. Be patient. It will come. So you saw it early. It was never too big for him. And I see a lot of those same things right here with Josh. Now, you are a young guy, but you're yeah. even a younger coach. Yes. And you've seen we have a young coach as well. And you've seen around the league, um, you know, coaching going young. Uh, you know, do you think that was a benefit to you back in the day? Um, or do you think, uh, or having more experience under your belt um, was, was, you know, did you have to kind of really work extra hard because you were so young uh, to get that respect? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I think you're going to get tested early um, and the players will test you. But I think, you know, I, I, I watched like, and I go back where like even where Sean was when he was in Carolina, when I watched him play, I watched his team play. The, the players play hard for him. That's a, that there's a reason for that. I mean, you can just see, you know, what, re, what the reflection of the coach is by seeing how the players play. And I've always watched him play the players in Carolina play hard. I watched when they came up there, they're playing hard. You know, you're a first-time head coach. You're, certainly right now, he's better than he was when he first came there, right? He's He's got experience. And the more experience you get, the more you draw on that as you make decisions moving forward. But at the same time, you don't lose sight of what you want to do and what you, what, you know, having a feel for your whole team because you you're, you're still the head coach. You're not just a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator or signal caller. You're the head coach of that team. And sometimes being young and being enthusiastic, when they, list, they look at you and listen to you, um, you know, you, you're an easy person to follow. Sean McDermott's an easy person to follow because, you know, he's not going to ask you to do something he wouldn't do. He's real. He's down to earth. And I think you can see that anytime any, when you're around him. There's, there's, there's no hidden agenda with this guy. I mean, he is, you know, he wears his emotions on his sleeves a little bit like I was um, when I was coaching. Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, wore yeah. your emotions, just maybe a little bit on your sleeves. And the players draw off of that. The players appreciate that. They respect that. And so, you know, again, I just, I watch a team play. And when you see teams play hard for 60 minutes, you know right now they're, they're, that's a reflection of the head coach. I think that the biggest surprise, Bill, when I first met you was that you were not as angry as I thought you were, right? right. <laughs> you are actually a fun, happy guy. And all those pictures of you on the internet, you know, always mad or screaming or yelling or with a frown, that's not really, that's just your game face, but that's not who you really are. No, and, and, and honestly, Ken, when I was coaching, um, I always said I had three daughters at work, at home, and I had 53 boys at work. And, you know, and I treated them like my own kids and I, I love them. I mean, I, it's the same, the same uh, conversations you have with your kids. Okay. Choices and consequences. And um, it's about the people you surround yourself with and nothing good happens after midnight. So the same things you're have, you're saying to your kids, you're saying to the players and it's the same thing. And, and they are young and they're vivacious and, you know, they want to be good. So, you want to give them that. And, and so my job was, I, I pat them on the back all the time. I love them, but I'm going to call you out when I think you've gone too far. 
If you cross that line, I'm going to pull you back. Now, I want you to get as close to that line as you can. I want you to be feeling like confident and think when you're the best person that's on that field that particular day. I want us to have a swag. But you know what? Make sure you still respect the game and don't you be selfish in your actions. We're on this thing together. Understand the situations we're in. Stay focused. Be disciplined. But have fun doing it. And play with some energy. Play with some emotion. And if you go across the line, I'll pull you back. <laughs> it sounds like you could still coach. Like, <laughs> like that, that was just a total great speech uh, that would still resonate with our players today. Yeah. And coaching is still, it's, it's still about managing people. It's about managing emotions. It's about making good decisions. It's about, you know, learning from some of the experiences that you go through so that you don't make the same bad decision again. And so it's the same thing that you're sitting up there doing. And, and sometimes you have to hold yourself accountable. We want accountability. And I, you know, if I, if I got done and I said, you know what, guys, that loss wasn't on you. That was on me. I, I didn't have you prepared enough. Just understand, if we do this again, there's a trickle-down effect. <laughs> so so it's going to come down. So I'm going to tell the coaches, and it goes down to you players, too. We're all in this together. I'll take it. I'll, I'll take all the heat right now. But just understand, we don't, this thing doesn't get turned around. There's a trickle-down effect that's going to take place here. <laughs> well, it's not, it certainly sounds like, you know, you haven't coached in, in uh, many years, maybe 10, or, 10 already. Yeah, we're 14 years. 14 years. Wow, it does go by fast. Oh. Uh, but, you, but you found a life after – after coaching, tell us I a little did. bit about that. Yeah, you know what, Kim, I, when I stepped down, um, my, my wife was not in a good place. Um, she had been, you know, dedicated her whole life to our kids and they were leaving. So I, I stepped down with no real intent of it. I wasn't sure what I was doing. You know, we won the championship. I coached for 15 years. I was 49 years old. And, you know, lo and behold, basically three years later, my wife passed away from, from, from cancer. And you know, that was, that was, that was tough. I mean, the three girls were kind of all off doing their thing at the time. And um, so I went up to New York and, you know, I didn't go back to Raleigh, North Carolina. I didn't want to go back to an empty house and uh, end up meeting my current wife, uh, Queen V as we call her. And you, you've got to know her a little bit. She's um, just, just a wonderful, wonderful person. She is, um, you know, she's been one of the best things that ever happened to me, honestly. She's been a rock for me and my best friend. Um, we were talking about this before, just during the whole quarantine. We were right in New York City the entire time, right? And um, her and I in a 1,500 square foot apartment, we never left, um, didn't go anywhere, go for power walks in the park, whatever. But, um, you know, I think when you meet your best friend and I was able to we were married in 2014 and She's a big football fan, big football fan. My, ironically, she's actually a Jets fan. Uh, I know, yeah, I know that. I know. She's, she's, she's <laughs> I a still like her anyways. Fan. I know. But, you know, and, I, and I, as much as I tried to explain to her, there was a number of years there where I had some opportunities to come back um, to coach. I, I just found myself with this normality that I never had before. I could walk around New York City. I can go grocery shopping. I mean, I, I go into Grace's, a little place, and I was teaching a lady how to pick out a good cantaloupe. Um, I just think, you know, this, she had no idea who I was. And I just said, you know, this is, this is who I am. I'm a normal person. And that normality, I lost that. And to go back into coaching, to go back into that bubble, that glass house that you have to live in, which is, that's part of the job, is being the face of that city, being the face of that team. Um, 
I had great balance. I really enjoyed being at CBS. I'd get, I love to talk about the game during the season. I love this time of year. Um, and at the same time, um, I'm sorry about this little, the sun keeps coming up, so I'm kind of in this ray thing, so sorry about that. You're glowing. You're glowing. Um, That's it. But, um, you know, I, I, I have got great balance. And, and I don't, you know, and I love being able to talk like with you and Terry. We get a chance to talk at times at some value. I remember how many times you and I, the four of us, would sit down at the end of the night and we'd be talking about everything, about your team, about the league, about the current state of the world. Um, and meeting people like yourselves, which is, was just, you know, I never, when Terry called one time and I just, he's a Penn State guy and he's a Pittsburgh guy. And I said, ah, oh, come on, let's just, let's talk about your team. Where do you want to go? <laughs> so, and I, I love the game of football. I love the NFL for everything it stands for. And, I, you know, and, you know, anyone that knows the players in the National Football League, how tremendously um, they have embraced being role models and what they give back to their communities. Um, you know, it, it is the ultimate team sport and it's the ultimate in diversity, right? Whatever, I mean, the different socioeconomic upbringings that you have, the, the difference in, in, in race, the difference in gender. I mean, a person like yourself. I mean, no other professional sports league has this kind of diversity. And to me, it's that that platform that we have right now. I just love everything that the NFL stands for in trying to make a difference in today's world. And and I support it 100 um, percent as I sit here today. And I just um, I always think about to me this period of time with the social justice issues that are going on and racial equality. Um, I I was a a blessed man and a privileged man growing up. And I think this whole COVID thing has allowed hopefully the world to sit back and look at ourselves and say, we can be better and we need to be better. Have we come a long way? Yeah. But do we have a long way to go? No question about it. And I think we work within our local communities to try to make a difference. Um, as I see you guys are doing, I see, I see all around the, the, the league we're doing. And I just think there's, there's a great opportunity to have a tremendous impact on our future. How have you seen the NFL change from a social justice perspective? I mean, you entered the league as a head coach in 1992, and, and here we are in 2020, and we're seeing these initiatives take over the league, which is a great thing. Um, but it's been quite some time to see the NFL move to the standpoint where they have said enough is enough. We are going to stand by our players. We are going to sp support these initi initiatives. We are going to do everything we can to, to help them vote, to help them get involved, to help them pour back into their community. So how have you seen that shift over the last, you know, 20 something years? Well, you know what, I, I, I think, Maggie, truthfully, I said, unfortunately, sometimes it takes the events of what has, what has taken place here to bring it to the forefront. You know, we, there's so much talk has been, 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 people have talked about it, but there's not really been much action to follow up on that. And so we are living in a total transparent world right now. And with some of the things we, we, we're, we're looking at, I mean, we know what's right and what's wrong. And there's some wrongs that need to be righted. And, um, and I think it starts with the platforms. I think it starts within the communities. And, um, you know, and I think that, I think the whole world has come together with this. I don't think it's just the national football league. I think every league has. I think athletes have platforms. They are role models. And, and from that standpoint, you know, um, we, we try to make a difference in a positive way. Try to bring people together, not try to divide people. Bring people together, which means you have to be a good listener. You have to respect where people come from. Um, you have to respect 
the paths that they got. I said, because I've never walked in your shoes. I don't know how you feel about something. I've not walked in your shoes. I, I respect it. It's just like a family. You know, I said this before, you know, families have disagreements at times, you know, but at the same time, we still love each other. And sometimes that difference of opinions is, is probably the one thing that, that is a product of, of why we, 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 will, we will have some kind of innovation of something is having a difference of opinion. Now, your family is very unique, Bill. So, you know, as we talk about sports being a platform, you've got one, all girls. Did they ever want to play football? Did they ever want to get into coaching or, you know, when they were younger, you know, wanting to uh, work in the NFL? No, they, they, they all, my, my first wife played in the uh, w, uh, WNBA or the WBA back then with Nancy Lieberman back when it first started back in the late 70s. So they all played basketball. They all played college basketball. They were best. I spent more time in gyms, I think, during the course of the draft and the offseason programs. I'd be taking my books up there, sitting up in the gym somewhere, and some AAU tournament, and taking my kids to practice. And um, and so I spent a lot of times in basketball gyms. Even after we won a Super Bowl in 2005, um, the girls could not – go to the party the night before because they had a playoff game the next day on Monday and they had to be back in school by one o'clock. So I couldn't even come back on the team plane. I took a private plane back so the girls could be in school by one o'clock for a game they were playing that night. And that very next night at seven o'clock, I was up in the stands watching them play a playoff game. So they have been the great balance for me. And they've never gotten into coaching, but they've married some athletes. My oldest yeah. <laughs> married Kevin Westgarf, who played yeah. in the NHL for seven yeah. years, now works with Bill Daly in the league office. Yeah. Um, my youngest daughter married Ryan Kelly, who went to Duke, and now he's actually playing in Japan. Um, he's played over there the last three years. He played for the Lakers for three years, the Hawks for a year, won a national championship with Duke with Coach K. So, you know, there, there's diversity in, even in sports in our family. So <laughs> there's hockey, basketball, um, and football. But um, listen, they grew up. They grew up as uh, they loved the Steelers. Um, you know, for me, it was just it was a hometown boy going back. Right, I, I got hired there in 34 and I always told the story I said you know man if I don't screw this up in three years and go back to my 20th high school class reunion as the head coach of my hometown team so you know that was you know that was and I made it back there for my for my uh my 20th and my 30th <laughs> so and my parents were there and they got a chance to watch the grandkids grow up and so it was just you know to be from there and I, I grew up four miles from Heinz Field um it was a dream come true but you know, when you follow, you know, a great coach like Coach Noel, you know, I, I just didn't want to screw it up. You know, I, I just, you know, I just, just he, he gave me, he, he kind of set the standards pretty high. And, you know, the expectations level were, were pretty high. And so, um, but you know what, that that's what they should be. That's what you've kind of created now in Buffalo. Now it's, it's not just the playoffs, it's about championships. And, and you know, that's the way it was before for a long time. When you went up there with the, the K-Gun and Jim Kelly back there with, Marv Levy and that run that you Buffalo has. And there is no greater fans. I, I, I got to say this. I listen, I broke a table for the Buffalo Mafia on national TV. I did so, see that. I did see uh, that. I did. You might work on your form a little bit. I know. Hey, hey listen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, I had a suit on. Like I, 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 so I was kind of like, you know, but, um, but I got to tell you, there's no more rampant fans than Buffalo. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many times going up there, it was just like that, that the bus ride in that you go through a couple blocks right there and the people were out in their streets. And I said, it's almost like there's, there's two places, there's Green Bay and Buffalo. You actually go through neighborhoods on your way to get to the stadium. 
and you are getting booed and everything else. And I said, isn't this great? <laughs> isn't this, this is awesome. I mean, so um, I, I just, just love the city of Buffalo, particularly the fans. Yeah, going back to the 90s. So you're talking about playing in Buffalo and, and driving through these neighborhoods and and hearing the fans boo you. And then you guys get onto the field and you're playing against some great Buffalo Bills teams in the early 90s there. What do you remember most about some of those games? I believe the Bills beat uh, you in a, in a playoff game 24 to 3. I think it was 92 no, or 93. We, we, Maggie, Maggie, we don't have to go back down memory lane. <laughs> I, like I want to relive it just for a little bit. <laughs> so, hey, here, here's, a, here's, here's one that you'll, I don't know if anyone, if you know, my last game as a defensive coordinator was with the Kansas City Chiefs. And we lost to the Buffalo Bills in 1991 when we came up to Buffalo. And Jim Kelly told me, and he, he admitted, he, they were stealing my signals. So I was doing a bad job, and I knew he was. I could tell he was. And that, that, but I said, that's not on you. That's on me. That was on me for allowing you to steal. I, go, I knew it because he kept <laughs> – every time I had a blitz coming, he was bringing the protection in. He'd get one-on-one out there, Andre Reid. I mean, whatever it was, it was just – firing the ball down the field. I'm going, how does he know every time we're blitzing? Like, I feel like he's just reading my mind. So that was my last game. And then the next, after that game, we lost. The next year, I was the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then my first playoff loss, okay, was in 1992. And they came in. And what do I remember? Well, you remember Jim Kelly in the offense, but there's another guy called Bruce Smith that our quarterbacks would say, Coach, how are we going to block him? <laughs> I go, with two people. It's going to take two people. <laughs> Trust me, not one can block Bruce Smith. And um, he was, to me, Bruce Smith. And I was back in that era right there because I had Neil Smith in Kansas City, Derek Thomas around that same time. And I, I coached in, in Kansas City. But uh, Bruce Smith, to me, um, he was one of the best. He was he's the best defensive end I've ever seen play in a game. From the standpoint of he could play the run, he could play the pass, he was disruptive, but he was also a good guy. I mean, he, how could you not like love Bruce Smith when you see that smile? Yeah. You, know, you just I never you never see the smile on Sundays. I mean, but you see the smile when he's off the field and he comes up, good game coach, and going like, oh gosh, I wish you were on my team. <laughs> but he's just a good guy. Well, you had some good players on your team as yeah. well, as we yeah. all know. If you if you had one, I guess maybe a trade or something that you've learned um, from coaching that has you kind of still really follow, um, you know, in, into your post-coaching career. Especially we talked about the situation our whole world is in right now. You know, what what have what are the, some of those coaching traits that did, that work well for you on the field, but now really still uh, carry on your life off the field? You know what, Kim? I think when you first get in there and you're trying to, to get a job, um, you're very brash. You have all the answers and you want, you want to show you that you're confident in what you're doing. And I think one thing I've learned about is being a good, a better listener. Um, just being a better listener. And, you know, I think as you get in, as you, as you know, you start to listen to the players and you start listening to what the, how they feel. And, even in our world today, sometimes I think we got to be a little bit more respectful and be patient and listen to what's being said out there and take it to heart. Um, you know, and so I think sometimes that we always want to take control of conversations. We always want to show people how much we know. I think we all can learn a lot more by just listening and being 
maybe a little bit more educated about the past so that we don't repeat it and more importantly that we can move on from it and um so i just think i think even today i've tried to educate myself and being a better listener so that i can be a better person right and i can be a better person moving forward so that i understand why we are where we are because of the past and i can listen to how that may have affected you personally um, so I'm trying to educate myself so that I move forward. If I get put in a situation or platform or have an opportunity to contribute to something, you know, I'll be, I'll be a better person because of my ability to understand other people. Um, so, you know, that's probably the one thing I think when you get into coaching, you're kind of in a bubble, you know, everything is so streamlined and, you know, I'm sure like there were many times I think when I was coaching, I don't even know who the president was. I was just like more worried about the next game and, now on the outsides, I've had a chance to look and, and assess and, and watch um, from back on the perch, kind of sort of speak in, in um, TV. You can assess and see where the good is. You can assess and see where we need to get better, you know? And so, I don't know, I just, I, it gives you another sense of perspective, right? You know? And well, I know you're a good listener because I've watched your YouTube uh, you and your wife B uh, yeah. doing your doing your Wednesday acoustic. Uh, what is that? What they're called acoustic Wednesday. It's, 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 it's live from the den. Den, it's, yeah, from your den, and you are you are the audience, and yeah. you are an awesome listener and very thoughtful. And obviously, Maddie, I don't know about you, but I've never had a song written about me, let alone no, from me. definitely, no. definitely not. Husband, <laughs> Haven't right? been there. So Bill yes. here has had. I can tell by the way. Uh, these things that she has written a lot of songs about Bill and they're all good, but she has written a lot of songs about Bill. So it's so nice to see you always have such a great uh, smile on your face. You can tell that you are happy, whether you're in a COVID lockdown in your den, um, you're with someone you love, um, enjoying what you do. Um, it's just so great to see you this way. Even uh, post coaching. I know we all miss you in the NFL. You still, you're still around. I know. Oh, yeah. but, um, but it's just so nice to see you being so happy and so content with where you are now. And that's by being a good listener. So I well, agree and, and Kim, thank you for, for that. But I will say to you and Terry, thank you guys for what you were doing up there with, uh, you know, the Sabres and the Bills and the whole Buffalo area. You know, I think that was, that's, a, that's a city that I'm sure there was, there was a period of time that everyone's talking about moving them to Canada and everything. But you guys have been so committed to keeping that team there. And, I speak on behalf, I'm sure, of all the Bills fans that uh, you're very much appreciated and your leadership is, uh, has been stalwart throughout this whole thing. And so thank you for being in your position and the difference that you're making. Well, as you know, Terry and I lived in Pittsburgh, so we were maybe some closet Steeler fans back in the day. Uh, but, you know, we saw what sports did to um, a city like Pittsburgh, you know, um, and obviously uh, the Steelers, a big part of that, as well as, you know, the Pirates and, um, and the Penguins. And that's really, you know, we said like, listen, this is, you know, sports can change the whole yeah. mindset of a city. They, it can change so much more uh, than just, you know, the, um, the field. So uh, we're hoping that's going to happen in Buffalo. We know you guys have shown that it can be done. Um, and that's what we're hoping. And that's what, you know, our goal is. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I think you guys are on the right track. Um, very happy for you. But listen, we all know everything. It's it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And, yes. and please yes. tell Josh to quit taking hits. <laughs> I'll tell him. All and, right. Appreciate your time. 
Thank, Thank you. you so much, Thank Bill. I'll be tuning Thank in you. this week, too. All right. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, Bill. Okay. Yeah. Bye now. The Buffalo Bills are proud to par partner with National Grid in promoting the Safety First initiative, where every time a Bills safety makes a tackle at home, National Grid will donate $50 to the 100 Club of Buffalo in support of first responders and their families. National Grid reminds you to put safety first in your home with this easy tip. Check the batteries in your carbon monoxide detectors regularly. All right, Kim, it's time for Ask the Owner. We went to Twitter and asked our fans what questions they had for you. We got quite a few really great ones. We had to pick only a couple. Uh, so this hopefully is going to be a reoccurring segment where our fans can ask you their questions because what, what fans really get to ask owners any questions? Uh, so first... Hopefully, I, I will try to be as honest as, as I can. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of times it, owners are told not to say anything. Uh, <laughs> so I will try to be as transparent as I can possibly be. So hit me. I love it. Ask the Owners presented by Connect Life. And our first one is Chuck Wagon. He says, what's a more difficult role, team owner or team president and why? First of all, you got to love Chuck Wagon. Like, like what <laughs> an awesome thing. Um, team owner or president. So um, I would actually, it's, it's kind of funny when I did become president, um, I told people I got a demotion, right? Because before I was owner, right? Top of the food chain. And then I'm like, oh, great. Now I have to do all the work. So, um, so there's definitely differences between an owner um, and being the president, I think owner has kind of this, uh, you know, you've got a responsibility that's very much um, long-term, right? Just just some overall big picture uh, things that you've got to think about. Um, as a president, you got to kind of get in the weeds and you've got to do a lot more detail and a lot of work, like I said, um, and understanding. But I actually really enjoy both because I enjoy getting in the weeds. Um, I enjoy learning and uh, obviously I you know, I still consider myself a new owner owner and under being the president has allowed me to really kind of understand, learn about the league, learn about the clubs, learn about operations that I didn't feel that I got as just an owner in the first few years. Um, but I would say if I had to choose one or the other, I would say ownership definitely has its privileges. Um, I know it's a very small group of folks and feel very privileged that we can be um, one of the 32 owners in the league um, that has had such a historical impact in American society. So I, I would say that being the owner is, uh, I like that more, but I really do enjoy being the, on the president's role, but very different. Yeah, they seem totally different, but it's really cool that you get to do both of those jobs. And yeah, being an owner is in very small company. And you are one of 32 am, that not, exist in this world. One. I am not the only one either. So I know people think that, but I believe that there are several other teams whose owners are also the president. Now, I would say that Jerry Jones, I think, is also the GM, but I would, I don't think Brandon has to worry about yeah, me. Yeah, you want to take to that over too? <laughs> and, and GM, yeah. So I'm just going to lay that rumor to rest. I do not want to be the GM as well. So, you heard just, it here first. Kim is yeah. not going to be the GM of the Buffalo Bills. That's Brandon Bean's job. <laughs> All right, yes. we have one more, Kim. Uh, Nicole Becker, she wants to know, do you have a favorite moment since becoming the owner? Favorite moment? Oh, my gosh. You know, 
these years have gone by so fast. It, they really have. And uh, wow. Um, I'm going to say that probably um, it's not a cop out, but I'm going to say probably the very first game that we became owners. Um, I think, I, I don't know how to top that, right? <laughs> um, that's pretty hard to top. Uh, but, you know, coming from, from like a fan, right? And then coming in as an owner, that very first game. And when we were, we all, our whole family went out on the field. You've never just, I've never been in a place where there's like 70,000 people mm -hmm. there, right? Um, cheering and supporting. I, I mean, I understand why the fan uh, is so important for these players that it gives them that extra energy um, because just being in that, in that stadium, like, hearing everybody and just the um just the excitement of what was about to transpire and it being the first game being the only second owner of the buffalo bills um having your family out there it just it was it was awesome i mean it's just an experience that uh, obviously i would never forget um and one i i can't replicate <laughs> again so i would say that that moment was probably my, my most favorite moment yeah, of being an owner that sounds like a goosebumps moment. I couldn't imagine being on the middle of a football field and having 70,000 uh, cheer for you. I'm sure you're pretty much overcome with emo emotion in that moment. I know I definitely would have been. No, it, it, it was pretty cool. And I think, you know, a lot of people ask me um, outside of Buffalo, like, like, why did you pick Buffalo? Like, why didn't you try to get another team in another city? Like, why would you pick Buffalo? Um, and I always tell people like, it's, you, know, you saw it there in that first game. It's it's the people in Buffalo. It's you know um, we talk about wanting to be relevant, right? Well, in in Buffalo football sports, is it is relevant and um, and they care whether they don't like you or they do like you. At least they care, right? At least they have some feeling. Um, and I think um, that is what really kind of uh, kind of drew Terry and I to Buffalo. Besides the history that we had there. But just the knowing that people cared, um, I think that meant a lot to us. And that particular day uh, that, you know, we had our first game, you could see that. And we just knew that we made the right decision. Yeah, the Bills are definitely relevant when it comes to talking about teams who are undefeated right now, talking about teams who are talented and who, who have a future uh, in the playoffs and hopefully can make it far into the playoffs. So week three, I know it's early in the season. We don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but a week three matchup, it'll be a good test for the Bills here as they uh, welcome the Los Angeles Rams. There's not really a home field advantage because no fans in the stands yet, but the Rams are going to be feeling like they're playing a game at 10 o'clock in the morning with that time change there, though. But, Kim, what are your thoughts on uh, this matchup just a, a few days away now? Yeah, is there any snow in the forecast for <laughs> Sunday? Not, no, not yet? Okay. Not yet. Um, you know, sometimes you got to get, you know, take as many advantages as you can. Um, I would have thought that maybe, like you said, the early time zones, um, I believe they played on the East Coast last week as well, that that would be um, – tough for them, but I, I think they've kind of gotten over that. I think they've had several wins on the East Coast. So uh, that's not an advantage, um, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's going to be a tough game. Um, as we saw in week two, a lot of close matchups, though. It's, it's kind of, you know, um, any team uh, at any point now has proven that they can win and uh, or come close. So um, it's, it's going to be a toss-up. I do think that there is a home advantage regardless. 
um, regardless of the fans, like you said, having the, that crowd there, um, they won't be there. But being at home, kind of having the comfort of not traveling um, and staying focused, you know, I think uh, we talked about how teams that are disciplined, how teams that have had the continuity um, help. Of course, you know, they have had, um, you know, obviously being a super um, playing in the Super Bowl last year, they didn't make the playoffs. So it's just, it's, and I'm sure they're back out to prove that they are um, another Super Bowl contending team um, again. So I, like I said, it's going to be tough. I think we just have to focus on what we can control, um, focus on the game plan. And like you said, one of the best things about Josh, not getting too high, not getting too low, keeping steady, but having the confidence that um, at any point in the game, um, a win is there for us. So that's, I mean, that's all I've got so far. <laughs> so let's, let's hope that, um, like I said, let's hope that we, uh, you know, are some of the guys that we need are coming back for Sunday. And, um, and like, I know that no matter what, our guys are going to give an A plus effort. Yeah, fingers crossed that we have some health on our side on Sunday. It was tough to see so many players go down uh, last weekend, but hoping for health for, you know, everybody in the NFL. But, yeah, it's going to be an exciting matchup, the battle of the two Shawns. One's your offensive <laughs> guru. Our Sean is more of a defensive-minded coach, several big stars in this game, you know, Aaron Donald against our offensive line, uh, Jalen Ramsey against Stefan Diggs, uh, Jared and Josh, two younger quarterbacks in this league. So this game, hopefully it won't have a blackout. Hopefully it won't have a lightning delay, but hopefully it'll have a lot of other storylines that we'll be excited to talk about, hopefully after they get a win on Sunday. Definitely. And then I think we go on the road um, after that. So um, we'll have to go. Uh, we're going out west. So um, it'll it'll be good to be back home and it'll be good to kind of really uh, have this kind of challenging um, game ahead of us. And uh, like I said, um, every game, you're just trying to get better from what you learned from last week's game. Um, and hope like, you know, Bill talked about finding your way through that that middle period and at the end, emerging strong. So um, lots of football still to be played. Yeah, a lot still to be played. You are totally right with week three coming up. And the next couple games are going to be tough tests for the Bills, but it's going to be awesome to see where they match up with some of the best in the league right now. But, Kim, that'll do it for us. Thanks for the time. That's week another three. podcast I, uh, in the books. Yeah, week three is amazing. It's going by so fast already. So, um, But thank you. love it. I love the questions. Keep them coming. Um, and uh, thanks for all the support from all our fans um, who watched and uh, hoping to have you guys back sometime soon. Definitely. That Ask the Owner segment was brought to you by this week's game sponsor, Connect Life, Western New York's only organ, eye, tissue, and community blood. Kim, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for tuning in.